Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today is June 26th, 2020, and it's been about three and a half months since the COVID-19 pandemic abruptly changed the way we work, live, play, and interact. And for many of us, the distinction between life at the office and life at home has been significantly blurred as we slowly adjust to the new world of working from home. With office towers now virtually empty and companies trying to figure out how best to respond, There are plenty of questions being raised about the office market and its ability to adjust to these changing times, and what it will mean for the overall appeal of the workplace as we know it. To answer some of these questions, I'm really fortunate to be joined by two senior executives from CBRE Canada. Lisa Fulford-Roy is a Senior Vice President of Client Strategy responsible for leading CBRE's workplace strategy practice in Central and Eastern Canada. And John Ramskar, who is the Executive Vice President and Managing Director of CBRE Canada, is also responsible for leading the company's flagship brokerage office in downtown Toronto, including all asset classes of office, investments, and retail. So Lisa and John, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. And uh, and Lisa, just yesterday I watched you and several panelists on the ULI Toronto webinar entitled Office Leasing and Workplace Disruption, the Short and Long-Term Effects of COVID-19, which is really very similar to today's discussion. And I'm sure a lot of what you mentioned will come up again today. And, you know, kudos to ULI Toronto and their webinar series. Uh, they've done uh, a phenomenal job of, of doing all kinds of webinars and all kinds of topics since uh, since the pandemic hit. And so I encourage our listeners to, to really check those out. But uh, for today's discussion, John, let's, let's start with you. Um, can you describe what the Toronto office market was like before the pandemic hit? It's just really just to get some context. So what it was like with respect to leasing activity, vacancies, and, and new projects on the horizon? Um, absolutely, Jeremy. Yeah, the uh, the downtown office market uh, I would basically best summarised as a, a a multi-year run of very tight and competitive uh, fundamentals, um, both on the supply side and, and the demand side. I think we had a run of uh, unprecedented demand in the market um, when we were trying to catch up, uh, for the most part, on the supply side with with new development. But uh, a very very tight marketplace, very competitive. We are the lowest vacancy rate. Um, in North America, and, and certainly one of the lowest um, of all the world global cities. Um, so a very tight and competitive market. And what was driving that? Um, a lot of it um, is, is in, in short, um, there's a, a, a few components. Um, in big part, um, a lot of, of tech demand and tech growth um, in the city, and, and, and really Toronto becoming a, a major world-class city, uh, a lot of immigration growth, um, you know, over 120,000 people and growing every year uh, moving to the city um, with certainly a beneficiary of sort of the change in policy south of the border uh, with our friends in the U.S. Um, and, and really, a, you know, an appeal of 
of Toronto and in Canada on the, on the world stage, uh, bringing more people to the city um, and lots of growth in, in the tech um, sector and, and many other sectors as well, but certainly a lot of growth in tech is a big driver. And does that did that trend translate into both downtown Toronto as well as the suburbs, or was a lot of it concentrated just in downtown Toronto? Well, from a, from a, it's very similar as a Canadian perspective, taking a kind of wider perspective on Canada as a whole. It was it was really downtown Toronto that was the beneficiary, similar to to Vancouver, uh, and then towards you know latterly uh, close behind in Montreal as well. Uh, those three cities have been a real beneficiary of um, similar kind of uh, tailwinds uh, in that regard. Okay, so Lisa, what about the trends that were shaping office space design leading up to the pandemic? I, I know in our office, uh, for instance, there was a real move towards uh, more collaborative space and less assigned desks. Uh, maybe you can talk about the, the kind of trends that we were seeing in, in, the, in the modern office space leading up to, to the pandemic? So leading up to the pandemic, we were already on a trajectory of what we call activity-based work, where people are highly agile in the workplace. And some organizations, such as yours, as you've just mentioned, started to include um, seat sharing as part of their occupancy methodology. And so what, what that meant was that there were more people assigned to a particular office than there were desk seats, but it also took into account the fact that people were traveling, people were in meetings, doing high collab- highly collaborative work, um, and they were perhaps working from home a day a week or working elsewhere at third, third places. So making sure that that office space and that workplace was a destination office and high, highly engaged in terms of the activity and making sure that it was highly optimized in terms of the real estate footprint. So, you know, post-COVID, we do think that that trajectory is going to continue uh, based on uh, the cost of the cost of real estate and organizations wanting to optimize. But at the same time, we need to balance that interactivity and that collaboration, which is something everybody's really missing right now, that social interaction. Okay, well, John, um, let's talk about then the, the, the current pandemic situation with, with the office workforce now working from home um, and the assumption that some companies have had to scale down in size or perhaps even completely shut down. What, what's been the impact to existing office lease and sublease activity and, and vacancy rates? That's a very timely question, Jeremy, because we actually just released our, our stats um, just today? Yesterday, oh, wow. stats yesterday. Um, so in short, uh, right now for Toronto, we're, you know, we're, we're, again, we're very early days in the trajectory of the virus, um, obviously being still in lockdown, although we have gone to stage two finally in, in Toronto. Um, and most week, of the province, In too. short, and, yeah, most of the province, that's right. We, we caught up with yes. them. Um, but in, in short, on the vacancy side, we our vacancy rate from quarter on quarter has gone from 2% um, to 2.7 percent, and that that 70 basis point increase is largely as a result of an increase in sublet availability, um, and that's predominantly in tenants under 5,000 square feet. So uh, right across the board, typically you know small, medium-sized enterprises, SMEs. Um, so it's, we haven't seen any kind of um, activity so much on that space yet. Um, most groups, certainly larger tenants 
continue to hold. There's a lot of dialogue and discussion, as you pointed out, um, around tenants potentially you know, contracting on space, but there's also uh, conflicting uh, messaging around some tenants actually looking to maybe need more space. Um, you know, to, to Lisa's point on, on densification, you know, a traditional one, you know, a person to 125 square feet, that ratio now is in, in question, obviously, at, at six feet social distancing requirements. So uh, it would indicate, you know, if people start returning to the office, we'll need more space. So there's some conflicting messaging, uh, but we do remain in the early stages of the trajectory. But we are seeing some lease availability start to creep up. But in the grand scheme of things, we're still very, very low on vacancy and actually still remain um, as a market the lowest in North America at 2.7%. Is that a surprise for you? Um, it, it's not, if I'm, if I'm honest, at this stage because we, we remain on hold and, and you know we have a lot of uh, monetary and fiscal support in the system. Um, so again, we're very early days until we start reopening to see the impact. But I think you know we have very strong underlying fundamentals in the market and we have you know, a very strong um, collection of ownership in the Toronto downtown core, you know, institutional pension money with deep pockets. Um, so it's, it's to no surprise, but, you know, what has been great to see as an industry is to see landlords and tenants kind of work through this together and our industry really come, to, come together throughout this crisis. That's been um, like a, a nice surprise, uh, a great testament to the Canadian market. And so you said that some of those, the tenants that are in the 5,000 square feet and, and less, are they, uh, what, what's the character of, of those kind of companies? Are they shutting down? Are they, uh, are they just retreating to the, to the working from home? Just give me a little bit of a flavor of, of who these types of tenants are. I, I would characterize it at this stage as just given the uncertainty around the situation and, and some of these smaller SMEs may be, you know, more challenged with their financial situation or, you know, maybe not have a, a deeper balance sheet uh, as some of the larger tenant basic covenant. So they're exploring, for the most part, options. Um, you know, if dates are coming up on, on their leases and they're having to consider, okay, well, you know, do we carry on here? Do we renew others? Um, or maybe maybe we will need less space or maybe we'll need more, but let's test the market and see what our options are. Maybe there's an opportunity to sublet our existing rates um, as we try and figure this out with our own um, with our own staff and employees, um, whether certain business lines maybe will have more flexibility. So I think it's um, it's just a case of testing the market and seeing what their options are. Um, again, we're very early stages um, as we're essentially on, on hold for the most part. Yeah. What about new projects on the horizon? You know, um, so many, I mean, just have to drive downtown and there's some pretty pretty large office buildings um, that are that are either underway or, or being proposed. How is this how is the pandemic impacting um, those those developments, either be under construction or that are proposed to be constructed? Uh, a great question, Jeremy. It's um, it's had a, a tough impact because, uh, as we all know, the construction industry was was put on hold, and we had close to 10 million square feet, um, you know, a development pipeline um, either in construction or slated to go into construction, um, which was a you know, roughly about 80% pre-leased. Um, so what that will do is that's put a significant um, hold and will slow down the marketplace and will certainly impact the existing stock um, of inventory downtown. Uh, some of these groups that were uh, were scheduled to leave some of our existing stock and expand into the new build development will uh, will be delayed. Uh, so it could put further pressure on the on the downtown core and the existing inventory. Okay. Um- 
Lisa, I just want to know what life is like right now, before we talk about longer term, I'm, I'm curious to know what life is like uh, inside a typical office building at this moment in time. Um, for myself, I, I work in an office building at Young and Dundas. It's, it's a high-rise tower, and I haven't been to the building uh, since the pandemic hit, and I certainly don't plan on going back anytime soon. Are, are downtown office buildings, are they essentially dead zones, or is there any sign of life on office floors uh, today? That's a great question, and uh, I would say um, it's predominantly a dead zone. However, there are markets opening up. So the Vancouver market never really closed down, and that market is returning to the office. Um, Calgary, Alberta uh, is opening up. Uh, They had very few cases, and um, they're returning to the office. But when we think about downtown Toronto, downtown Montreal, uh, even Ottawa for that matter, there is a very slow return to the office. Uh, because we're still only just entering phase two of the pandemic and the cases are still live and not um, descending on a regular basis. So um, what we are hearing from customers and clients and ourselves uh, in in those markets is that we're monitoring what's happening very closely and we're doing all of the planning that's involved in returning to the office. There's a tremendous amount of logistical consideration that needs to go into putting together a safety plan or a safe return to the office. And then in addition to creating that plan, we need to work with our landlords to understand what they're doing and incorporate that into the plan. And then the plan's live and dynamic because the province and the municipalities that we're in um, keep changing and updating their information. Once that plan's in place, and, and this is sort of the stage that most of our clients are in and most occupiers are in right now, once that plan's in place, then it needs to be communicated to employees. And there's a whole change management um, engagement uh, that needs to happen with employees so they understand well in advance what to expect in returning to the office, what that looks like, and what are the new behaviors and etiquette required in the office in order to maintain safety at all times. Um, but we're, we're, we are encouraging our employees to... Um, to come into the office if they need to, to be productive. But at the same time, um, we're asking them to make a choice around their safety and putting their safety first. And so everybody uh, from an individual level to a team level to a leadership level has a personal perspective on, uh, on safety. And we're seeing a very slow return to the office until confidence is back in um, safety. And specifically, if we think about uh, the commute to the office. For those that are reliant on public transit, there are delays in those markets specifically around returning to the office because of the sense of safety in taking public transit at the moment. Sure. It's interesting you mentioned that Vancouver, p- people are coming back to the office. Um, what, what's the reason for that? Is it only because the pandemic hasn't hit that community as, as hard as it has in Ontario? Or, or is there more to it? It's predominantly that, and they never fully closed down like other municipalities. Um, so they still had uh, some level of sort of retail and, and restaurant activity uh, throughout. Uh, they never went in complete lockdown. And so if you think about consumer confidence, if there are very few cases, if uh, there weren't heavy restrictions, there's heightened confidence that safety uh, is being met. 
and therefore, and more people are feeling comfortable. But what I will, what I will say, it's not a race into the office. And we, we're not seeing that in any market where people are racing into the office to get to full capacity. With social distancing and two-meter distancing, most organizations without physical changes in their environment can only accommodate 40 to 50% of their employees. And even then, we're really recommending to our clients as well as you know, our employees that were checkerboarding. So we have two teams to prevent, um, you know, one team, uh, you know, contracting uh, COVID and infecting the entire team. So for tracing purposes, most organizations are following a, a two-team checkerboard, one week on, one week off approach to accessing the office. So what are some of the other ways that office tenants are responding to, to prepare for the return to the office? You're talking um, staggering staffing. Um, what about, you know, you know, again, as we talked earlier, you know, uh, some of the large offices were redesigning to, to create these collaborative spaces. Um, and I know in our office, you know, we packed more, more uh, staff onto a floor um, how is the, the design of the space going to change in order to welcome off, uh, office workers back onto the office floor? In, in the short term, um, virtually every organization that we're speaking with are employing work from home as a means to create social distancing, so not opening to full capacity, basically, rather than diverting capital right now to make physical changes in the workplace. This capital uh, is key for many organizations in terms of their viability going forward. So there's, there's hesitancy on, on spending capital in the short term. Uh, longer term, um, you know, in the conversations that we're having, organizations are rethinking um, how they might employ a combination of work from home in the future, but very few are looking at that as a long-term strategy. So, there may be some adjustments longer term to the workplace. It's still early days. Um, it could go up or, or down, and that's going to be really dependent on the type of work that um, those occupiers do and the relevance of being in the office. But what we do know is, you know, that desire to um, interact with people, to have face-to-face collaboration, social interaction is what many people are really missing right now. So that might even get heightened in the future. And if you think about the type of spaces that are required for collaboration in teams and groups, it could even increase the square footage demand for those types of functions. Interesting. In the what about... Yeah, Jeremy, I'll add, I'll, add to, I'll add to Lisa's comments there as well. You know, what, what we're seeing really is, you know, as Lisa mentioned, more, more practical solutions as opposed to, you know, as groups kind of hold on, on capital this time to, um, to establish, you know, the kind of short-term... Um, road ahead um and this is consistent and, and lisa and team have really taken a lot of um kind of best practices through our kind of global platform um you know from what we're seeing as, as worked and the lessons learned you know for example in in markets um, across asia that are further ahead in the curve and, and europe uh, and bringing those back into kind of our, our playbook for ourselves internally uh, to establish those best practices but for the most part it's we're seeing consistently with with clients uh, and ourselves internally kind of more practical solutions at this time. What about the landlords? What about, you know, the Oxfords and the Cadillac Fairviews and the Brookfields of the world? Uh, how are they responding? And, and the first the first uh, area that comes to mind are the elevators and the protocols around that. And 
you know, the notion that you, you can't pack the elevators with people anymore. How are they responding to all this? So the landlords that we're working with, and you can imagine we have 22 offices across the country um, with landlords from, you know, across the country. And many of them are approaching elevators uh, with as much social distancing as possible, knowing full well that we don't have two meters in an elevator. So really using iconography on the floor with footprints to demonstrate where people need to stand and then encouraging people uh, to wear masks in the, in the elevators, as well as using something other than your, your hand to press the button if it's not touched with technology. Some of them are starting to think about the integration of touchless technology going forward. So being able to order an elevator from your iPhone uh, or your phone wow. and not having to touch any buttons. And so that so the technology exists. It's just a matter of when uh, there will be capital to invest in those types of upgrades and which buildings could actually accommodate those types of upgrades depending on the infrastructure. So we are going to hear more about touchless technology at activated appliances. There are refrigerators, for example, that are app activated to open and close. So um, we will see more of that certainly in the future. But in the short term, everybody's taking a cautious approach and a practical approach uh, per John's comment. Mm. So, John, uh, let's talk a little bit about the longer-term demand for office space. Uh, and we touched upon this very briefly earlier. Some have suggested that demand for office space will increase because of social distancing, physical distancing in, in the office, um, and therefore you'll need more, more square footage. Uh, others have suggested the demand will decrease because of the advent of working from home. Um, why do we need so much space if everyone's working from home? What, what are your thoughts on this? Where do you think demand is, is going to head? It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, the, it's a very fashionable question right now, um, Jeremy, and, and uh, it's a bit, it requires a bit of crystal ball gaze. Right. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we're very early in the stages, but, I mean, you've got to think that our... You know, I think right now the, the story is a, is a, is a sublet availability um, story and watching that space closely to see what impact that has on vacancy. Um, and and there, are, there are conflicting factors there, as you pointed out, between those you know, the very aspect of the, the core logic here um, of social distancing requires more space. Um, but I think there are going to be some elements here of flexibility requirements for companies, certainly from the capital standpoint um, in mitigating fixed costs where they can. Um, you know, so it, it's hard to establish what the long run is going to look like, but I will tell you that there are a number of factors that do temper a long-term reduction um, in the footprint. Um, you know, working from home is not a new phenomenon. Um, you know, this is something that we've been dealing with for, for a long time. Um, and Lisa's got some great stats on this point, but, you know, approximately 4 5% um, generally, in, in the workplace, have, have opted to to work from home today. You know, prior to um, you know embarking on the on this uh, pandemic, but there are there are elements um, a temper, and, and a lot of this kind of comes back to the fact that there are a lot of jobs that actually can't be formed um, exclusively at home. Uh, that you know you have to be you need to be in an environment of collaboration and teamwork, and, and we find generally across our platform at, C, you know, at CBRE and our advice with clients that, and even ourselves, um, you know, the competitive advantage, advantage and, and the core to a company's success really comes from 
from that, you know, the culture um, of collaboration and teamwork and, and people management and talent, um, which, you know, we've seen obviously a lot of the talent in the last couple of years has really focused on, you know, the growth of the downtown core around tech uh, to no surprise. So there are a lot of factors here and, and you know, in order to attract talent, um, you know, it requires um, people to, to come together in a workplace and a social setting um, by our very nature as, as human beings. So there are some factors there that do temper uh, a long-term reduction that you know, we have some confidence that we will eventually, once we get through the other side of this, um, we'll come back to uh, to a normal. But there will definitely be some more flexibility in, in, in the short term, um, is, is our view. Yeah, it's interesting you're mentioning tech um, and you were saying that the tech industry uh, is is uh, one of the segments that's really driving the demand for office. Um, I was just chatting with uh, a friend of mine who works for a boutique tech firm in in the western part of the city, and that tech firm, you know, staffed by um, very smart uh, young. Uh, coders, um, you know, they, they typically work at their desks uh, with the headphones on and they're just coding all day. They're finding that the productivity is actually increased by working from home. Uh, and they're now contemplating just just completely shutting down their, uh, their lease office space and, and working from home. Uh, again, I'm wondering whether, you know, especially the tech industry, you know, the Shopify's and the Twitter's of the world, uh, whether that is going to be a concern if, if they're going to really put a dent into the demand uh, for uh, for office in, in Toronto. It's, uh, it's, it's, what I'd say is it's tough to generalize right now. At its core, it's, you know, right now we're a healthcare issue and, and people's health and well-being is uh, first and foremost. So if you know, a company's got to advise their employees to stay home to keep them well and safe, that's a priority um, first and foremost. But in, in terms of the look ahead, there are, again, a lot of conflicting factors here because whilst we're here in some areas, some individuals are more productive working from home, we hear from many other areas that it's not productive. Um, if the human reality uh, and the challenge of, you know, some people working from home, particularly if they've got young families, uh, they're working in a small, you know, small condo, or they're working from the kitchen table all day uh, with family around, it, it really is unproductive. It's quite the opposite. So again, there are a lot of conflicting factors here, and you know we um, we have a lot of insight through um, through our business and our global platform. You know we manage um, a lot of real estate um, for our clients, uh, close to about seven billion square feet uh, globally. So we get a lot of insights, and you know I can tell you groups such as Microsoft and that head of real estate have, have really reinforced to to us. Um, how important it is to have that workplace um, for talent management and uh, you know success and growing the company uh, through collaboration and teamwork, and that is a core part. Without doubt, there's a, a, going to be an increase in, in flexibility from working from home as we work through the trajectory of the virus. But um, you know we are hearing that it's important to a lot of companies to have that, that social place of interaction and teamwork and collaboration. So. Um, I, You've got to think that the workplace actually could play an even bigger role going forward. Um, it, it would likely change from where it, where we stand today, and it could go along the lines of, you know, how, how do how do you improve the workplace going forward to attract that talent um, and and make people productive? So, you know, we could see a bit of a you know a hub and spoke, uh, and Lisa can talk to this in more detail. Um, but again, there's some inefficiencies around decentralization that we've seen through managing a lot of our clients' real estate. But 
remains early. Um, there are some wild ideas out there, as, as we're all hearing, on, on both fronts. Um, but we're kind of eagerly watching the market, listening to our clients. Um, and I think it will become clearer as we start mobilizing um, to return to work. Yeah, this that that was going to be my next. That, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to to add to you know, the office isn't dead certainly, and we're going to see some knee jerk reactions in the market right now, um, primarily with a short term view. But we also know that in advance of COVID, organizations were investing in their workplaces for attraction, for retention, to build culture to activate, motivate, and engage their employees. And the reason they were doing that is because they're trying to provide a a workplace that's highly efficient, highly functional for those employees, really balancing the priority of real estate and, and the priority of employees around business objectives. And so we don't think that's going to go away, but when when we get back to a normal is really the question. Um, what we're also uh, aware of from work from home programs that were employed uh, previously by organizations and even recently by organizations is once you get beyond two days a week of work from home, engagement starts to drop. So the longer you're in it and the more you're doing, it's very difficult to keep heightened engagement. Employees who are working from home tend to feel disconnected from the organization. They have difficulty with mentoring. Um, some of them feel that they are getting surpassed from promotion because they don't have visibility. And so work from home programs have to be really well designed and thoughtfully put together in order for that engagement to be maintained. So we don't necessarily think that many organizations are going to go to a full work from home program. However, we do understand that most employees have been looking for some flexibility of work from home on occasion. And, and it's going to become really dynamic. We're going to see everything in between uh, going forward. So to John's point, how do we measure that um, at this time? It's really too early, but we do think that flexibility is going to be key, but attraction, retention, engagement is really a priority for most organizations and their employees, for that matter. Let me, I, I just have a few more questions for each of you. Um, what are the biggest surprises that have emerged from all of this, from, from both of your perspectives? I, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll start on that. Yeah, um, I think, you know, again, we're still early stages, but some of the biggest surprises, I think it's really been great to see um, our industry uh, come together and, and see landlords and tenants kind of work through this for the most part um, together. Uh, why why is that a surprise for you? Uh, because by the very nature of, of negotiation and transactions, uh, you tend to sit on one side or the other. And this this, this healthcare issue, this pandemic, is it's a, it's a level playing field, right? It's affected everyone. Um, no one's unscathed. So we're all in it together. Um, as we've all been saying for 15 weeks, but it's been great to see um, the most part of the industry rally together on that front. Um, there's been some um, phenomenal moments throughout um, assisting um, organizations um, on a number of fronts. I think that, to me, has been some standout moments to date. Also, the government support as well um, um, you know, has been critical uh, for us all. Um, you know, the, the kind of fiscal and monetary canons, as we say, uh, fired fairly early on in, in the process and continue to support many 
um, throughout, which is why I think we're not really seeing um, such negative impact at this stage, albeit we're somewhat on hold in, in Toronto still. Um, so those have been certainly some standout standout moments um, for me personally. And I'd say also, you know, following on from Lisa's point, uh, you know, we have close to 2,400 people in, in, in Canada um, and we're where as an organization now, I'd say we're even more connected uh, than we were before um, coming into COVID-19. Uh, why why is that? Just the ability to, um, everyone wants to stay socially um, in touch um, where they can. Um, you know, we have a lot of a young demographic across the country and you know, living in small condos on their own. Um, so it's been incredibly important for them to stay in touch. And it's obviously the only method we've had has been through through technology um, and through uh, through Zoom, for the most part, uh, Microsoft Teams, and um, that's been a, it's been great to see everyone kind of come together again and, and work collectively in collaboration um, across the country. Lisa, what about you? What what's been one or two big surprises coming out of all this? Oh, I agree with John. I also am speaking with a lot of occupiers, so. Um, hearing their perspective on uh, what was their aha moment um, is pretty interesting. Many of them are quite surprised at how remarkably well um, their organization and their employees shifted to work from home. Um, you know, not only on a personal level, but from a technology standpoint. Um, many of the leadership and executives that I'm speaking with have upskilled in this uh, in this uh, time of working from home where they may not have been able to necessarily activate and organize their own Zoom calls. Hmm. You know, we're all DIYing it right now. Right. So, um, you know, many of them have learned to feel more comfortable with different technologies. And I'm not just isolating leadership, but generally they have more support in, in these areas. And they're more comfortable in leading teams virtually and connecting with teams. I love the fact that we have, by virtue of adopting technology across the board, everybody's comfortable getting on a Zoom call or a Teams call. And so we're actually eliminating borders completely by virtue of everybody being comfortable with virtual collaboration and virtual meetings. So that's been very interesting. The other aha moment that a few clients have shared with me is now that they've been working from home and they're not commuting on a regular basis, they recognize the strain and the time that that commute takes. And going forward, they're thinking of working from home on occasion, a day a week, whereas prior to COVID, they couldn't even imagine working from home. And more so because they wanted to save that time to get other work done and take you know a day every week or every couple of weeks to really not have to do that commute. So there's a lot of conversation about commute convenience and flexibility that's in discussion right now. Okay. What about your biggest concerns from, from all this? Uh, John, what, what, what are you most worried about? Um, I mean, obviously, in, in, in my role uh, with the company, I'm, uh, first and foremost, are, are people. Um, you know, their, uh, their you know, health and, and well-being, particularly their mental state, as we are 15 weeks now in, in, into lockdown. Um, you know, it's uh, it's, a, it's an endurance test for many um, on this front. So that you know, that's probably the thing that really keeps me up, up at night. Um, and also, um, you know, clients um, as well uh, included in that concern. Um, 
some people, you know, depending on their circumstances, this has been a tougher challenge. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if, if you're living in a 500 square foot condo downtown and you're uh, enclosed for uh, on your own with no family around for you know 15 weeks, it's, it's a pretty tough challenge. So um, I think that's really been first and foremost um, for, for me and for us as a company, um, the kind of key priority. And what about you, Lisa? Certainly, um, everybody's safety and health uh, is first and foremost. I would say the other, from a workplace lens perspective, uh, my concern is some organizations are going to think that work from home programs are going to save them a ton of money and they're going to send everybody home for the longer term. Uh, I don't think everybody's going to do that, but that would be a concern because we know that um, it's really challenging for those employees to stay engaged, to feel vital, to be productive if they're doing it full time. So encouraging organizations to really value um, the productivity and, and the value of engagement in the office as a, a predominant work setting and allowing some flexibility in the future. Um, you know, having choices is gonna be really important versus taking drastic measures and sending an entire workforce home just to save on the operating cost of the facility. Yeah, I'll add, I'll add to that, Jeremy, as well. I would say that, you know, the other concern, I think, through this process is, is um, not to get caught up in the, the media frenzy uh, um, around the office is dead, uh, you know, but really focus on the practical reality um, of the situation that we're working through um, and keep everyone kind of calm and collected. Again, I'm focused on that, the reality aspect of what we're dealing with and not to get caught up in the headlines. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good point because, you know, and I think you, you, you mentioned the word confidence in, in uh, or Lisa, you mentioned the word confidence in the office, uh, in, in your office space. And because I would think that for a lot of uh, employees, including myself, the notion of, uh, you know, having to get on a, a, a crowded bus or a crowded subway um, to get to your office, to wait at the bottom for an elevator, uh, to get to your floor, to, you know, think of all the restrictions and the protocols, uh, to not be able to engage with your colleagues uh, around the, the water cooler or maybe the cafeteria, um, and just being so hyper aware of the contact surfaces it, it it's stressful uh, but it, it's it's comforting to know that the industry is is thinking of all this and and certainly the two of you are are very much involved in in leading and in, in, in providing advice I think that that's going to be the real test to see how we how we get through it and how we adapt do you have any final comments before we sign off? Yeah, I would. I would also, Jeremy. One thing, you know, you asked me kind of what were some highlights, and there is one actually I didn't mention, but I think it's something that we'll, we'll we will continue to see as we go through this, and we're seeing it certainly with our our um, our clients with a global footprint in real estate. You know, and ourselves, we have the benefits of the global platform. It's been able to bring some kind of best-in-class um, lessons and practices. Um, you know, from other markets around the world that are, you know, further ahead in the curve. And, you know, we were able to do that fairly early on in this process with um, some practices that work well, for example, in the UK, um, assisting with the healthcare sector um, that we're able to bring over here to to the Canadian market. Um, and, and, and Lisa and team obviously have been 
been working closely with our global workplace platform on that front, um, you know, with the remobilization of the Asia pack market. So I think that's something that's going to stand us in, in good stead. And we're seeing that with our, certainly from our, our clients, the global footprint as well, as, as Lisa mentioned, bringing in practices such as touchless technology um, and apps uh, to utilize elevators, for example, um, where that's been successful in other markets. Lisa, any final words? I would say the one topic that we haven't covered today is co-working and service offices. And while it seems counterintuitive to think that those are going to be in high demand in the future, um, you know, early indications from our uh, global survey and our surveys in Asia are really indicating that organizations are thinking about co-working in the future to de-risk um, their portfolio and to provide flexibility in their portfolio. And that was a market that was continuing to accelerate pre-COVID. Um, so more, more time will tell whether or not those predictions, those early predictions from the survey um, will uh, become a reality. But there is enough evidence to indicate that the flexibility and the resiliency that organizations are looking for um, in their occupancy model will continue to be something that they'll need post-COVID. And so for those co-working or service office organizations that are able to weather the storm from a capital perspective, we do think they're going to continue to be viable from a flexibility and resiliency perspective going forward. Well, this has been really interesting. I'm really glad to have been able to get both of you at this time. I know you're incredibly busy. You must be busier than ever before, given the way the world has changed, uh, particularly in your industry. Um, thank you so much for your time. I, uh, and, you know, if we have a chance to reconnect in six months' time, you, you'll probably have a lot more information to share as, as we get through this. We, we suspect so, Jeremy. There's a, we're operating at a significant pace um, right now as, as an industry. Um, but uh, again, there's a lot of positives. We we all continue to work through it together. So um, well, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about in a, a couple of months' time. Okay. Thank you both. Mm-hmm.